say, well, for 20 years. <laughs> um, today, the title is Thanking God for the Waiting Time. Um, God's been teaching me this for a very long time. Time can be frustrating to us. Um, we want to speed certain things up and we want to slow certain things down. And I'm sure we can think about what that might be. Scientists uh, kind of study and theorize about time. And we watch films, don't we, that explore that kind of frustration of being trapped by time. Maybe wanting to jump from one time to another, or slow it down, or speed it up. But it's something that we are very bound by. And the Bible is written within the context of time. It's passing of time, of individuals' lives, and cultures, and civilizations. And within that, we read this beautiful love story, this wooing that happens through the whole Bible. It's the story of God's love for his creation. And we too find ourselves in that story today. We are part of God's ongoing love affair with his creation. So today, it's a huge topic time, but we're just going to think about what about waiting. I go to, uh, every two months, I uh, make it a priority to take a day out to stop. And I go to this place called Hope Weavers. Put your hands up if you've ever been to Hope Weavers. Okay, there they are. Look at them. Look at them, because you might want to ask them afterwards about what it's like. It is an amazing place where you go for a quiet day. It's only in West End. And the amazing thing about it is that time goes slow. This is one thing I find again and again. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful, quiet, reflective um, community where I go, and it's, you have to be silent. Um, and this is unheard of for me. Uh, I talk so much. I was saying only on Friday that even when no one's around, um, I'm still talking. Um, and this is quite embarrassing when people catch me. The great thing about um, being in your car now is that people assume you're on hands-free, but I'm not. <laughs> Okay. In the community, um, they have a poem, and one line of it is, so thank you for the waiting time. And it always makes me laugh. We do it at lunchtime. It makes me laugh so much because I think, I don't want to thank God for the waiting time. I was um, chatting with Gillian at Martin's here today, and she is waiting for a knee operation. And uh, a, a couple of months ago, we were chatting about this on the phone, and I, said, I was telling her about this line, so thank you, Lord, for the waiting time. And she laughed so hard. She said yes, and I said, I'm going to pray that you know peace. And then at the end, she said, Yes, and that I get a quick date as well. And there's that sense, isn't there? We don't want to wait at all. Recently, I've been looking at the book of Genesis. It has been such an amazing adventure for me to really dig into Genesis and the characters involved. And that sense of time, 
You, you really get a sense of it in Genesis as they follow the lives of these characters, not just a sentence, but chapter upon chapter as we see a character's life unfold and their generations that follow them. And we get to see this extended window into people's lives. Um, and we're getting towards the end now. I've almost finished. <laughs> and I've been looking at Joseph And there's one line that I want us to think about today. I don't have a clicker. I'm not really sure why. I'm guessing it it didn't come down. So maybe we could click to the next one and someone will run up and try and find it. And it says this, When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. And this is Joseph, and he is in the prison at this point. And it says, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. But this isn't what it really says. This is the NIV translation. Um, So if you click to the next slide, hopefully, it actually says two years of days had passed. And he's in prison. And it can feel like that, can't it? It can really feel, when we are waiting for something to happen, that it is days that is happening. Sometimes hours, sometimes minutes, and we're waiting for something to happen. It might be that we're waiting for a better job, but it hasn't come yet, and you're you're aware desperately that you have to give that three months notice in this hideous job you don't want to be in. Or it could be that you're trapped on a course. You've been at university for a year and you're stuck there and actually you've realized you don't like the course and you don't want to do anything to do with that course and you just want it to end. And it feels like days are passing. Or it could be that you're stuck with awful neighbors. Um, uh, And that the moment you move in, the drum and bass is vibrating through the walls. I know what this is like. I live there with Rachel. Boom, boom, boom. All night. And you're stuck and you're painfully aware that you've signed for 12 months. And you can't get out and you can't afford to get out. As creative beings, we are stuck in the constraints of time. The Bible tells us God's the author of time. He is external. He's outside. And yet he chooses to enter into time with us. He is in the moment. He is here now with us. And we know that from his promise. When two or three are gathered, I am with you. He's here in this place. But what about when waiting has little hope at the end of it? We talked about three examples, didn't we, that were going to end. But what about if you're stuck with those neighbors and your house is in negative equity and you're stuck? What about if you're trapped, for example, um, in a marriage? It can feel sometimes like you're trapped. You can't see a way out. Things haven't worked out. And you're stuck. And you're praying, God, do something. You're waiting. 
What about if you're ill and at the moment there is no cure and you're waiting for God to do like that? It can really feel at those times like you are trapped in a prison. There's a reason that prisoners are pictured tallying the days because it is days in prison you're waiting. Sometimes it feels like hours. When I, was gra- when I graduated, I, I, I didn't write very good application forms. I still don't. In fact, I haven't written one since I graduated, so that's been okay. Um, but I didn't get a job, and I ended up packing fish. And I take this, the trout, and I put it in the blue container, and it would it would shuffle on and I'd take the trout away. I know, Wendy. i put it in the blue container and I'd do this for hours and you couldn't speak to anyone because it was so noisy. And it didn't feel like hours. It felt like minutes. It was painful. I mean, I stank. But more than that, it was so boring. Joseph, we'll go back to him. He's in prison. Now, leading up to this point, he's had quite a difficult life. Um, it says we were on that, weren't we? Two full years of days had passed. He was born to a couple who were struggling to conceive. His, he was born to his father's favorite wife. He was favored and loved more than any others. He was probably spoiled. <laughs> he was probably a bit of a brat. His brothers hated him because of it. And so I expect he was lonely and isolated because of it. He ended up being sold by them into slavery. He was betrayed by the family that should have loved him. He's been in captivity and even in captivity, in slavery, and now in the prison, he has risen to the top place of influence. But he is still enslaved. He is still not free. Every morning in prison, Joseph would wake, waiting for the prisoner that he had helped, if you remember, he helped the cupbearer. He'd helped him by giving him an interpretation of a dream. He'd encouraged him, showed him kindness. And he was hoping every day that that cupbearer would return the kindness to him. But it didn't happen. The immediate time frame for the cupbearer to return the kindness had gone. Joseph's human hope of escape had gone. His plan had gone. He had loads of authority over the other prisoners, but he was still not free. His charm and his intelligence had not enabled him to free. And you can imagine as he sits in the prison, he feels utterly alone, trapped, forgotten. But he's not forgotten. God has not left him, not forgotten him. We know from looking at Joseph's life, we look back and know that the plan of escape was already in place. 
He would be rescued from this pit. He would be prosperous. He would be liberated. We know that Joseph would rule over his captors in the future. That God had plans to bring healing to Joseph's broken, rejected, mush heart. We knew, know that God had plans to restore to Joseph his family, to see his father again, to forgive his brothers. We know that God had a plan to bring him descendants as numerous as the stars and as many as the sand grains he could see potentially out of his prison bars. And we know that God had a plan for Joseph through eternity. And today, there might be areas of our lives that we feel we're still trapped in. You know, we might be like Joseph. We, we've had difficulty, but we're in quite a good place now. We're doing okay. But we know that there's certain areas that we're still not free from. We're still in that place where we're not completely free. God has more for you. God has more. Joseph's story is a great encouragement of the God who has come to set us free. He wants to bring us into that place where there's no more crying, where there's no more suffering, when there's no more pain. He is a God who's with us in the jail and walks with us into freedom. Paul, the apostle, see, look, it doesn't even work now. It's just here to torment us. Let's try. No, it's not going to work. These things never work. Why is it for me they never work? Oh, look at that. Okay, Paul writes this. And we know what? We know this. We know. Oh, that's not my one. Okay, I don't have it. Paul writes, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived for those God, those things, for the things God has prepared for those who love him. I'll read it again because I messed up. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived for those God has for the things God has prepared for those who love him. And I'm just wondering. For Joseph, do you think there was any point when he was in the prison that he had any conception or idea or hope of what God was going to do in his future? I don't think he would. All he was focused on probably was being free. But he couldn't have even begun to consider what it would be like to reunite with his family, to look in his father's eyes, to have the strength to forgive his brothers. No human mind has even conceived. And in Joseph's story, we might think, well, what was that about? You know, why? We often say this of our own stories, don't we? Why did God allow Joseph to be born in such a family? Why did God allow him to have those dreams that he shared that made his brothers even more annoyed? Why did God allow him to be hated and rejected by his family? 
Why did God allow him to be sold? Let those Midianites come at that particular moment. Why did God allow him to be unjustly accused? Why did God put him in prison? There is a woman at New Wine, she was speaking, and she works with women who um, have controlling addictions like eating disorders or self-harm and things like that. And they're often women that have had really difficult pasts. And she said it's better not to ask why, but to ask what now? What now? And Joseph could have been eaten by the wise, couldn't he? I mean, look how many there are of them. We see at the end of his life, he's able to look back and he does see some sense. He says, you know, it has achieved saving many lives. But I'm sure there were a lot of questions he still had as to why all that to do that. Why couldn't God have done it quicker? Why couldn't God have just, when he's in prison, why didn't the cupbearer tell him straight away? Why didn't he just leave after a few days? Why two full years of days? Joseph's life gives us the bigger picture. And here, now we can look at the next one. Romans 8:28 tells us this, and this is for us, remember. We see it in Joseph's life, but we need to see it in our own lives. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We need to remember when we're doubting that God is good, that he wants good for our lives. He is good. He does not want suffering for our lives for suffering's sake. He does not want evil things in our lives for evil's sake. He is good. And we sang it, didn't we? He is good. Yes, yes, yes. He is good. Sometimes along the way we experience pain and suffering and brokenness. But we can have faith that God in it will bring something good. In it will bring something good. When God finally brought about change in Joseph's circumstances, freeing him from prison, he was took before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in that whole region. And he's given a dream that is, let's face it, quite obvious. But none of his magicians or um, interpreters have been able to interpret it. I think they could. I think they were terrified to give him bad news. Joseph's chance is here. Like me in the fish packing, when I went to an interview, I was not leaving without the job. This is Joseph. He's before the king. He is not leaving without the job. And he gives Pharaoh an interpretation that could have resulted in death. He had to take a risk. He had to trust God with his future. He is catapulted from a place of here to a place of here. How many people could cope with that? Here he is. Famous quote. Oh no, it's missed the end off. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are always, oh sorry, wait, great men are almost always bad men. That's what he writes. 
Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But Joseph, who's been here and is now here, he continues to work with the same diligence, with the same um, carefulness that he has done here. That's a great lesson for us, isn't it? He's done it here, and he now does it here. Joseph has changed here, over here. He is a brat. He is spoiled. He is obnoxious. He is strutting in his coat of many colors. He is going to check on his brothers to see that they are doing it properly. Look at that journey of change that has taken place. And waiting time allows this journey to happen in us. To, we learn humility. We can't learn it. I heard this great quote um, that said, you cannot microwave maturity. Love it. You have to learn it. And it is hard. It's a slow cook. You know, it's like my old oven that was broken. It's a slow cook. It's like all day to cook a roast, you know. Um, But in those circumstances, we find the fruit of patience is born. We find the fruit of perseverance is born. The fruit of character and hope. We can't microwave it. We have to learn it. Romans 5.4 says, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And we live in a society that likes the end result, but doesn't much like the process. Sometimes we don't care how you did it, as long as you've got something to show me. But God's not like that. He's in the process. He's like a true scientist who cares about the process and how you got there. He doesn't waste our time. We hear in our society things like, well, that was two hours wasted, or don't waste my time, or you are a waste of time. This is a quote from Beth Moore, one of my favorite Bible teachers. She says this, if we are convinced that God is sovereign and purposeful and good, are we? Oh, one person is. Are we? Oh, thank you. Why would he allow or even ordain a season that has no value or contribution to our futures? It's a great quote, isn't it? Waiting time is not so much waiting. It is changing time. Changing time. We might not be moving forward in our plans, But God is moving forward in his plans. He's got a bit bit of a bigger picture than us. God wants to achieve character, faith, knowledge. So rather than asking, why is this happening, God? Ask, what now, God? What are you doing here? How are you working in me? How are you working in that person? What are you doing over there? What can I see that you are weaving together in your love story for my life? What are you doing here? It's not wasted time. 
knowing God's promises of what he's going to bring us can help us. In the, um, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, we walk through the valley and he brings us out into green pastures. We have to hold that, don't we? But you can't avoid the valley. You can come forward for prayer. You can ask to be zapped, but it will not mature you. It might help you endure. It might give you more of the spirit to be in that place. But we can't microwave maturity. We know that God is good. He has good plans for our lives that he will dry every tear, that he will restore, that he will redeem, that he will rescue. He is in our present. He is in our past. He is in our future. Joseph could not have known what was here. He couldn't have conceived what God was able to do. If you place yourself here, can you conceive what is here? But we have to trust that God is good and he wants good for us when we're here in that valley. When we're in our own prison, he is going to do immeasurably more than we can ever hope for or even imagine. Interestingly, When Paul says, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, he is quoting Isaiah. And Isaiah is praying at a time when Israel is in Babylon. Here they are. And he's praying for God's rescue to come on this decimated, decimated Israel. And he is praying for rescue. And it says this, and we need to remember this. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Do we know any God who acts on behalf of those who wait for him? Yes, we do. We are repeatedly told in Scripture to wait. Look at this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. And that wait is not like, I'm just going to give up and let you do No. This, this, the root of this is expectation, anticipation of what God is going to do. It's standing here and saying, I can't do anything about this, but I know that God is going to do something in this. He's going to do something in this situation and I am waiting for it. I am anticipating it. I am expecting it to happen. I have not given up and said, it's fine, I'll just be here. I'm doing okay. It's saying there are still things that I'm not free from, but I'm expecting and anticipating what God is going to do in my life in that area. What you're waiting for, you might be waiting for a family member to come to Christ. 
You might be waiting for a job. You might be waiting for a baby. You might be waiting to get married. You might be waiting for healing or test results. You're standing here and saying, I am anticipating that God will do something good in this mess of my life. Because there's no other way of getting from here to here. (laughs) We can choose to trust him. He is here, but he is also here already, and he's waiting for us to be ready. He's waiting as much for us as we are waiting for him. We need to hold firmly that Jesus has prepared good things for us. Sometimes, here's the mountain. Sometimes God is gracious and he just goes, and it is gone, the mountain. Sometimes we are climbing the mountain. It is hard, but we are getting over the mountain. Sometimes the mountain is not going to move, ever. We have to go through the mountain. We are going through it. And it is hard, and it is painful. We're not meant to enjoy it. We don't have to rejoice and say, I'm fine, yeah, I'm having a great time. Thanks so much for asking. No. When Jesus uh, was going, he says he despised the cross. But for the joy sent before him, he endured the cross. And this is what we need, isn't it? The spirit to help us endure our mountain of whatever we are walking through. And everyone's got one. Don't look at someone else and think, their life's fine. They've got no problems. It's just me. No, it is all of us. We've all got a mountain. In Joseph's life, before he was even in the pit... God had a plan. In our lives, before we were even conceived, God had a plan. And that plan was Jesus. He didn't rush. He didn't slow. He went perfect. When he went to the cross and he hung on the cross, he was there in the moment for the joy set before him. When we were powerless, he came at just the right time. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. I thank you that you know our mountains. You know the ones that we are currently struggling with. You know our questions of why. You know our heart breaking and the struggles we're in. Jesus, I pray for each person here that you would pour into their heart, fresh your Holy Spirit to endure what they have before them. I pray you'd pour into their hearts hope for the future and reassurance that you are good. And that you have immeasurably more than they can ever begin to even imagine for them.